We are continuing in this series that we're doing on prayer, and over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll take a bit of a turn, and we'll start to look at a couple of very significant prayers in the Christmas story. Next week, Darren will talk about Simeon's prayer, and on the Sunday before Christmas, I will look at Mary's prayer. But this morning, we want to talk about an issue in prayer of, t- called tongue-tied. And it's learning to pray. One of my favorite Christian authors is Philip Yancey. And I love Philip Yancey primarily because of his honesty in his writing on really tough issues about faith. About prayer, he writes, for most people, I think prayer is analogous to sex. Most people complain and few people do it really well. Let's pray. I think I could just stop there. There's enough for you to think about. Let me explain. Both are intimate relationships. Both have false ideas and expectations built up around them. What sounds so thrilling on paper bears little resemblance to how it actually plays out. So should it surprise us that we have problems with our prayer life? Even if we've been praying all our lives, prayer can sometimes feel empty. Pointless. Powerless. We can be left at times like David, the psalmist, crying out to God, going, are you there? Do you even hear me? Maybe we're missing something in our prayers. Maybe we're just not doing it right. That's how Jesus' disciples felt. Now, remember, these are just good Jewish boys. They'd prayed their whole lives, every day. But in listening to Jesus, they found a new fascination with prayer. There was something different about his prayers, about the way he prayed, about his connection with God, something. And maybe it was just the simple fact that when he prayed, something happened. Whatever it was, I get real encouragement from my feeble attempts at prayer when I read Luke 11, verse 1. Because after following Jesus around for months and listening to him pray and watching what happened, they just come to Jesus with this very humble, simple request. They look at him like little children and just say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? So as far as I know, these two parallel passages in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11, contain the clearest and most comprehensive teaching that Jesus gives on how we should pray. And it's all given in response to this simple question the disciples ask. Jesus teaches how to pray. Keep in mind, they had already been taught by the rabbis when they were small children how to pray. They prayed every day at 9 and 3. They participated in public prayers on a frequent basis. But watching Jesus, there was just something different about his connection to God in his prayer times. He was different. He wasn't like the religious leaders. He wasn't like the public teachers and their prayer lives. And so in response to their question, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand 
praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need, even before you ask Him. I love it. It's really pretty simple, what Jesus says here. First, don't turn your prayers into a theatrical production. (laughs) Jesus isn't saying there's something wrong with public prayer. He's actually saying just don't use it as a way to draw attention to yourself. Or try to impress people with your spirituality. That, that's just hypocritical. I don't honestly think that's a big deal for many people in this room. Don't hear a lot of people begging. Don't get a lot of comment cards on Monday morning saying, Hey, I would love it if I could pray publicly in the church service. You know, not many of us are begging for that. Don't see a whole lot of people standing on street corners shouting out their prayers. Not a big deal. But... If you find yourself in a situation like that awkward Christmas meal when mom or grandma asks you to pray, make it about God, not about impressing the people around you. Second thing Jesus says, in contrast to the first, is when you do pray, it's best to find a quiet, secluded place so you don't slip into performance mode with your prayer. Because the essence of prayer is about your relationship with God. It's a private thing. And then third, Jesus says, even in that private space, remember, it's not about endless repetition. That's not what God's after. Simplicity is best. Repeating the same words over and over like some magic spell isn't going to guarantee that God will hear or answer your prayers. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to ask God for the same thing. Every time you pray. In fact, Jesus teaches us, encourages us to be persistent in our prayers. It's just don't make the same shallow repetition from an insincere heart. And I think of the three things, that may be the thing that I struggle with and maybe you do too. If I'm honest, I catch myself doing repetitious, meaningless prayers. Here's where it hits me most. I was raised and taught as a kid to bow my head and pray before every meal. Anybody else grow up with that as a discipline? Drop your head, pray, thank God for your food before you eat. My younger brother said he thought it would be a better idea to just go to the warehouse and pray once a month. It's more time conscious. So go to Costco, make a prayer, do it once a month. God, I got you covered. See you next month. But I do it as a habit. You know, Keith, you liked that one, didn't you? It's kind of a, yeah. Um, It's a habit. Here's what happens, though, is I catch myself sometimes lifting my head up from praying for my meal. I don't even remember what I said. It's just this repetition. Meaningless. If I can't remember it, it didn't mean anything to me. You ever do that with your prayers? Mealtime, bedtime, waking up in the morning. I don't want meaningless conversation with any of my relationships in life, 
let alone the most important one, my relationship with God. I'm certain God doesn't want a meaningless conversation with me. You know, sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't have those kinds of conversations with God. Now, that's pretty much it when it comes to the rules for prayer. Don't get your hopes up. The message isn't done. Don't go theatrical. If that's God saying there's more, let me know. Um, Don't go theatrical. Find a private place. Mean what you say. Those are the three rules Jesus gives. Pretty simple. And then he says a very interesting thing in verse 6. He says, then your father, when you do these things, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Not your father, who hears what you say in secret, will reward you. Your father who sees what's done. That is very hopeful for all of us who struggle with prayer. Because we all have times when prayer is going to feel awkward and we struggle. Everyone does. We're all going to have times of prayer where words fail us. Even people that you look up to as spiritual leaders. If you read the biographies of great spiritual giants. You think of people, just two I'll name, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. Read their biographies. Nested in it are comments of times in their life where they struggled to pray, to want to pray, struggle with what to say in prayer. Any religious leader who's honest will tell you it's hard to pray at times. And what Matthew 6, 6 says is that God sees our efforts and begins to move. He sees you before you say anything, even when you can't say anything, and begins to move. Now Jesus, with the ground rules, these simple ground rules established, launches into some words that are very familiar to us. Scholars have labeled it the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up Catholic, you've said this prayer thousands of times. If you've been to weddings a lot, you've heard it sung hundreds of times. And no, I'm not going to sing it for you. (laughs) Now that makes me want to. Um, It's given to us by Jesus to show us how to pray. Not given to us by Jesus as the prayer we should pray. Nothing wrong with praying it. It's just kind of a beginner's prayer. A learning tool. And it's intended as a starting point. And I think more than anything else, it shows us the attitudes we should have when we pray. So what I want us to do is, rather than me just reading it to you, I'd love for us to read it together. With feeling. Okay? Can you do that? Yeah, I'm convinced. Let's try. Give it your best shot. Okay? And the words up here may be different than what you grew up with. So, follow along. Let's give it our best shot. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the attitudes start with one that's very easy to say and hard to do. Jesus wants us 
to be humble. Can I tell you that being a pastor has some baggage with it? It just does. One of those is when I meet people for the first time, they don't know what to call me. And I have fun with that. Uh, It doesn't matter whether I meet them at a social gathering or if I meet them in a formal place like a funeral or a wedding. It doesn't matter if I meet them on a golf course. When I meet them for the first time, they struggle with what to call me. So some of them want to call me reverend, which for those of you who know me is really pretty hilarious. Um, They want to call me pastor, which is fine. Uh, So I leave them on the hook for a little bit and mess with them, let them fumble, and then I fairly quickly let them know I'd rather just be called Greg, you know. But what's inherent in their struggle is this old-school respect. It's this idea that when someone has a position of authority or honor or power, and I don't view this as any of that, but it's this idea that you give them the title that goes with the position. That's the point that Jesus is making with the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Remember who you're talking to is basically what he's saying. Remember that you're addressing God, the creator of the universe. The one who was there at the beginning of time and will be there at the end of time. The one who is holy, perfect, righteous. Jesus says, get the right perspective on your life, your relationship with God, on the universe, as you begin. In a world that glorifies success, this beginning to prayer is an admission of weakness that disarms pride and prepares us to receive grace. Now I find it amazing in light of who God is that we're invited to address Him as Father. In Jesus' culture, father was at once a term of respect and authority, as well as a term of tenderness and intimacy. Father is someone I can trust, someone who has my best interest in mind. And so we pause at the beginning of our prayer to humble ourselves, recognize our relationship with the creator of the universe, And that's a critical posture to take. Because when we recognize we're talking to the creator of the universe, it puts everything else we're going to bring to him in our prayers in the right perspective. Be humble. Second, Jesus says, be honest. When Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's inviting us to pray a very real, honest, and open prayer to God. It's kind of a different language than we would use, so it doesn't come across that way sometimes. But to use Jesus' language, when we become a Christian, we have this split citizenship at first. We're citizens of heaven and of earth. Two kingdoms. And if we're honest at first... The citizenship of earth occupies 100% of our time, our energy, and our thoughts on an average day. We struggle to think about God. We struggle to think about living our lives for Him. We struggle to merge those two worlds into one. 
God doesn't want us to maintain this dual citizenship. Like, coming here, we visit God, and then we leave and say, hey, we'll see you next Sunday. You know? That's not the kind of life God invites us into. He wants the two kingdoms to unite in our heart until they're inseparable. Until God's will is being done in our lives on a daily basis the same way it's being done in heaven. That's a huge prayer that Jesus offers. And it's not the reality in any of our lives right now. Certainly not in mine. So Jesus is inviting us to be real and honest in our prayers. If we took that phrase and put it in everyday language, it would be something like this. God, help the things that matter to you to begin to matter to me in my everyday life. It's not that way now, and I want it to be. Help me. That's an honest prayer. It's not cleaned up and sanitized. And that's the way that Jesus teaches us and God wants us to approach Him. We can take our best and our worst to God in prayer. And there are lots of examples of that in the Bible. I could talk to you about individuals in the Bible who prayed that way to God, who yelled at God, who screamed at God, who cursed God. But maybe the best thing I could do is encourage you to read the Psalms. And if you do that, you'll find that the ones who wrote the Psalms, were incredibly honest with God. Those songs were actually their prayers. And they took everything to God. They took family problems, depression, and emotional highs. And if you read the Psalms as a prayer, you'll find that you'll rail against God, you'll praise God for His faithfulness, you'll wish you were dead, you'll exalt in the beauties of nature, you'll bargain for a better life, and you'll spit curses at your enemies. You'll be all over the map. And if you had any idea that you worship a God who can't handle your prayers, (laughs) read the Psalms. It's all out there. And you'll find that God is okay with whatever you want to bring to Him. Get it out there. Be honest. Because what God wants in our prayers is our authentic self. And then lastly, in this model prayer, Jesus says, be bold. You have this humble perspective of who God is as the creator of the universe. You have this honest perspective of who you are with all your junk that you're bringing to God. Be bold in what you ask Him for. Jesus now turns to what's most often first on our hearts when we pray, our needs in our life. The everyday stuff that we need God's help to deal with. Those things that wake us up in the middle of the night. The stuff going on with our kids. Our marriage. Our job. Our family. The sins we struggle with. The sins we don't. Even down to the basic needs of life. Food. Shelter. Jesus said, ask God. And don't be bashful. Don't be ashamed. Because God already knows what you need before you even ask. If you read the New Testament, you'll find people like the Apostle Paul making bold requests 
not only for himself, but for the people he knows and loves. And he prayed on a very practical level for friends who were sick. He prayed for his travel plans as he went to visit churches. He prayed for safety for people who were in dangerous situations. But he also lifted his prayers to a a much higher level, a much bolder level. He prayed that his friends would mature and grow in their faith. From wherever they were, non-faith, wherever they were in their infancy in their relationship with Christ. He prayed that that would grow. He prayed about their spiritual welfare, not just their financial and physical well-being. He dared to pray bold prayers that went beyond just the physical needs of life. Jesus teaches us to do the same in the model prayer. He prays and asks, God, keep us away from temptation. Keep us close to you. Keep us away from our signature sins in our life. Do you dare to pray that prayer for yourself? Do you pray it for the people you love? That they'll draw closer to God and further away from the sins that separate them from God. Then he prays what may be the hardest part of this prayer. God, help me forgive people in my life the way you've forgiven me. Completely. Wholeheartedly. Even if they don't deserve it. That's a hard one. Try getting on your knees and praying that prayer and don't get up until you've forgiven. I think if I prayed that, I'd be there a while. In the end, I wonder what keeps us back from praying. Are we too busy? Maybe. But maybe it's something more deep, more profound that keeps us from prayer. Maybe it's this notion inside of us as high achievers, that we have to get everything perfect before we'll pray. Maybe it's that our lives need some fine-tuning. We need to know more. We need some answers to some philosophical questions before we can pray. But the problem with prayer is this. Prayer is not something we master, like algebra or auto mechanics. Because to master prayer would put us in the on-top position, where we're competent, where we're in control. The truth about prayer is this. We have to calmly and deliberately surrender control in order to pray. We have to become incompetent to pray. None of us is an expert in prayer. Not a one. We all have a lot to learn. But in the same way that no child can ever draw a bad picture for their parents, no child of God can ever offer a bad prayer. And God welcomes us to talk with Him just as we are and just as we are able. And I've come to believe 
that accepting that one fact may be the biggest thing that keeps us from praying. Do we truly believe that God is loving, that He's compassionate, that He's merciful, that He's forgiving? Or do we somehow in the back of our mind believe that we need to cower before Him or that we need to earn His love? The Bible couldn't be more clear. God loves all of us. God loves you unconditionally. You can trust Him with all of your story. He already knows it, by the way. All the parts and pieces of it. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We pray by grace. And when we finally approach God in prayer, what we find is that the most important purpose of prayer may finally be that it is the one place that we can let ourselves truly be loved by God.